0: At Marshall's, our buyers hustle to get you great deals on great gifts.
1: Cashmere sweater, nice.
0: You'll get brand name quality gifts for everyone on your list and yourself too. Hello, designer fragrance. More brands, more quality, more gifts for less. At Marshall's, gift the good stuff. The Geek Show's exclusive podcast dealing with the good, the bad and the ludicrous of movies either starring about or by pop stars. No, the podcast covers such a broad range of musical and cinematic genres from country and western to hip-hop, from documentaries to science fiction. I'm Graeme Williamson, I'm a film critic for thegeekshow.co.uk and horrified.com. And this week I've been joined by... Mick Snowden,
1: who is in fact the son and heir of a shyness that is criminally vulgar.
0: What are we reviewing this week, listeners? See if you can have a guess. <laughs> <laughs> you're on Behold, aren't you, Mick? I am on Behold, yes. You're on Behold, which I is a am. fine podcast. Well, we try. Yeah. We try. Sometimes I have to come in and, you know, bail you out, save you from yourselves, but I mean, it's I'll, all right.
1: I'll, I'll be honest, Andrew's more trying than I am. <laughs> but...
0: Uh, But yes, this week's film begins with its hero being told to stop being such a mad-ass advice that, spoiler alert, he will never ever take. Mark Gill's England is Mine is essentially X-Men Origins Morrissey, released (laughs) at the exact point when the Moss father was giving his fans the contradictory advice to spend the day in bed, not read the news, and also go out and vote for Anne-Marie Waters as UKIP leader. Yet, the idea of a film about the youth of Morrissey is not itself unreasonable, from the first Smith's album to his classic autobiography. Morrissey's world has been thick with cinematic illusions and reference points from A Taste of Honey to carry on Cleo, but how does that translate into actual cinema? Uh, I can
1: sum that up in one word.
0: Oh. Badly. That's been your lot from Pop Screen. Join us (laughs) next week. I mean, I
1: I like a good fictional biopic Mm. of a a rock star. Yeah. You know, uh, Spinal Tap is quintessential in in that realm. And also funny to boot. Yes, yeah. Um, I'm also a big fan of a proper sort of representational uh, biopic in a former podcast, Cinema Eclectic, and I I, I covered a Joan Jett one.
0: You did, yes.
1: And, uh, you know, I like it when they're... Content rich enough to draw in a casual audience who are just, you know, interested in music in, in general. Yeah. But also have revelations that astound and bemuse even the most hardcore of fans.
0: You say you weren't astounded or bemused by the fact that Morrissey taught Villanelle to stack shelves.
1: Well, I think I think she could have done the world. Based on the portrayal in this film, I think she could have done her the world a favour by killing Morrissey first. <laughs> because because this is not the version of Morrissey I'm familiar with. Mm. I mean, I, I bearing in mind, this film has no excuse for this because it, it got released four years after the biography came out. Right? That's
0: true, yeah.
1: And at no point, and I've, I've thumbed through the autobiography since, just mm. to check on this, but no, there is no uh, kung fu action in a lift in an office block.
0: <laughs> You're making that scene sound a lot more exciting than it actually was. I, I mean, think. to be fair, it
1: was the most act- action-packed scene of
0: the film. Yes. <laughs> Well this is this is possi- one of the things that bothered me with it and I do I think feel more positively about the film than you do but uh, Mark Gill who directed and co-wrote it instructed Jack Loudon who plays Morrissey not to read the autobiography or do any research because he wanted him to play Morrissey as a character written in the script rather than as Loudoun's impersonation of the pop star, Morrissey. And in this case, I can sort of see why that would be good advice in a different case. But in this case, I think there is an unbridgeable gap between the very shy, introverted, depressed young man we see here and Morrissey. And I I think that can only be bridged by knowing who he becomes. Yeah.
1: Uh, But, I mean, the the thing for me is, um, for me, the the film's got a split personality. Mm. The title, the names, the setting, all indicate that it's a Morrissey biopic. Mm. But actually, what it is, is the story of a Morrissey fan.
0: That's true, actually, yeah. He feels um, more like somebody who's listened to I Won't Share You on repeat than someone who would go on to write it.
1: Yeah. And this is the thing for me. It's like... Um, I'm, I'm not sure... I'm not sure what, what the, the objective was in, mm. in, in writing this film. Yeah, it's like if you were going to do a, 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 a fictional recreation of um, a point in, let's say, Hitler's life, right?
0: Okay. I mean, I know he's gone a bit to the right in recent years, <laughs> but there's still a limit.
1: No, but no, I mean, let, let, let's be honest. Yeah, you might cover his um, involvement in World War One. Yeah. yeah which is possibly one of the less famous parts of his, his life reasonably yeah. well documented but not not on the greatest hits album yeah? <laughs> yes um, but that has the power to tell a story that perhaps gives some flavor to what happened later.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah?
1: Um, but still nonetheless, an interesting chapter in the life of that person. Yeah. Whereas what we get here is some barely turning up to work in a tax office.
0: <laughs> yes. And um, it's strange because the outline of it, if you were to sort of pitch it at me, and I assume this is how Gil and his co writer must have pitched it sounds rather a lot like Billy Liar, which is one of those vintage British free cinema films that is yeah. always referred to in Morrissey's songs. Yeah. What I think that is missing is the wit and energy of Billy Liar, mm. which was unquestionably part of what Morrissey took from the film.
1: And, and, and that is the thing about those kitchen sink dramas of the time. Yes, they were grim. They portrayed a grim working-class, um, almost no hope on the horizon mm. type yeah. world. But there was heart and there was warmth and there was wit and there was yeah. humour. And I think the other thing, I, I didn't see any of that in these characters, mm. you know. I didn't want Morrissey to be successful in a band in, in this film.
0: I mean, I was going to say, given what we know now, I'd be tempted to go back in time and tell Johnny Marr to just sort of hook up with someone else, to be honest. But, um...
1: but the, um, that's the thing. It, it, no one was likeable. Linda Sterling, who is quite prominent in the early part of the autobiography.
0: Yes. Um, and yeah.
1: quite, quite well portrayed... In the film
0: by Jessica Brown Finley, yes,
1: yeah. but why make her look like the fourth Bananarama who got kicked out of the band before they made it big?
0: <laughs> well, th- the fashion I can't really sort of speak to that. Um, She's I, I know Kevin
1: Woodward's stunt double that's what she'd look like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? Okay, <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yes, yeah, maybe that is the case. I think that there are, like I say, several things that I enjoyed in this film. I like the fact that by looking specifically at Morrissey's early life, uh, we avoid that trap where you have to dramatise the inspiration to a song because, uh, you know, I've got to admit, I was dreading this film to be a string of scenes where he sees a bicycle with a flat tire on a hill and thinks,
1: hmm... Or maybe sits with a friend in a cemetery. Well, yeah, but...
0: (laughs) Reciting lines
1: of poetry at each other. (laughs)
0: biographically though we know that happened that is an autobiographical song so i I can cut it a bit of leeway on that um but yeah it it, it didn't have that kind of cheeseball aspect of the biopic which i I appreciated it 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 hasn't Mm. more
1: i i would counter that point with the fact that this is possibly the biggest prick tease of a film I've watched in a long time. Right. Because there are visual clues that gear you up for a Smith song. Yeah. And then disappoint in a kind of I'm sorry, we couldn't afford the rights to this catalogue.
0: Yes. Kind of way.
1: I mean, the, the opening sequence with the waves crashing around, it's crying out for a bit of Shakespeare's sister. The Song, not the band.
0: I was going to say, yes, it is. I'll,
1: I'll quit with the Banana Rama links now. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it is, it's crying out for a, a bit of young bones grown. But yeah, yeah. It doesn't deliver. And I, 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 there are several points throughout the movie where you just expect a little bit of a refrain. It doesn't even have to be the whole song, you know. Yeah. Just, just a hint, but.
0: I kind of liked that it was played on that kind of subtle level. Like, yes, there is a scene where he gets into a fight at a funfair, but mercifully, you know, no one is having a name tattooed on their arm with a biro. No. Uh <laughs> They play a bit of send me the pillow you dream on without any sort of nudge in the ribs to say what? that he would sing a bit of that on some girls are bigger than others.
1: Yeah, and I... <sighs>
0: I think for me, what it
1: ends up feeling like is a film that's been made by someone who was frustrated by not being around in time to make the videos for Smith's singles.
0: Maybe that's why I connected with it, to be honest, (laughs) because that's something that often keeps me up at night, I've got to admit.
1: (laughs) But, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's because... um, Maybe it's because I'm a Smiths fan. Mm. And, you know, modesty up to about 2008. Um, yeah. But I just I just found it empty.
0: Mm. We should talk a bit about Smiths fandom, just to explain where we're coming from there. Because um, my first experience with the Smiths was when my uncle had just... Bra just bought the uh, seven-inch single of Sheila Takes About, um, and I clamoured for him. Sheila Take About. Sorry, I know someone will pick me up on that because it's <laughs> it's it, it's a detail-oriented fandom. Let's put it that way. Some might say
1: overly obsessive.
0: Just a bit, yeah. Uh, I I begged him to put that song on uh, and he was happy to put it on because he was really excited to have it. By the time I allowed him to stop playing it, I think he would have liked never to have heard it again uh, because I just (laughs) made him play it over and over and over (laughs) and over again. Uh, But from that point onwards, I was absolutely hooked on the Smiths. They were as they are for many people, I'm sure, an absolutely constant companion to my teenage years.
1: Yeah, and uh, well, I mean, I my my experience of the Smiths probably predates yours a little bit, mm. um, and I didn't like them at first. Oh, right. In the in in the sort of uh, Smiths stroke, hatful of hollow era. Yeah. Uh, when they were the darlings of the John Peel show. Yeah it was gloom, it was miserable
0: you know it... And I do, I, I do see what you mean there because I've always had a problem with the first Smiths album in that you know people have this stereotype of the Smiths as just this sort of meat and potatoes indie band who were totally depressing and if they stopped listening at that first album I could kind of see where they get that from yeah
1: the other thing to bear in mind is that we're talking well when you first start hearing sessions being played on on John Peel we're talking sort of early 82
0: mm. uh,
1: you you're at a point in time where the jammer on the verge of splitting yeah their sound has changed and 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 there there's people looking for a gap
0: I was one of them for that mm. kind of guitar based
1: music and you know you experiment with a bit of level 42 but The Chinese Wall wasn't for me.
0: Yes. Um, (laughs) Too long for a start.
1: Well, yeah. Um, So, you know, you're looking around for something new to listen to, um, and there's a flurry of guitar-based stuff coming out. So around this time you start seeing bands like Big Country and The Alarm and U2 emerge. Yeah. And so they, they were all a bit more upbeat. An anthemic. Mm. Um, yeah. So it wasn't until the release of uh, The Queen is Dead that I really started sort of reevaluating the Smiths. And I think by that point there was a more sophisticated song structure.
0: Yes, definitely. Uh, a much yeah.
1: more layered production value. Yeah. Uh, and then I went back and did Hatful of Follow Up and The Smiths and went, oh, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, but there's a special place in your heart, isn't there, for bands that you completely got wrong and had to go back to. Yeah. For me, it was always Super Furry Animals. I always used to insist that Super Furry Animals were crap up until I think about two thousand and one, <laughs> when it became impossible to like continue this fiction. Yeah. The the weird thing about The Smiths. Mm.
1: Is and it, it was a friend of mine that I, I went to school with. He then went off to university in, in Manchester.
0: So much so to answer much to for. Answer for. <laughs> Not I, that Smith's fans are predictable or anything. I but. mean,
1: you know, in the Premier League, you have Manchester so much to answer for, United, and Manchester <laughs> so much to answer for, City. But um, he went off to university in Manchester. Uh, I didn't have a great time of it there. Um, and I went over to visit him.
0: Mm.
1: And we, we went down to the Student Union Bar. After, after a, a gig at the Apollo, we went to the Student Union Bar. And the Smiths came. The DJs played the Smiths.
0: Yeah. And
1: he suddenly, his personality just switched. He was in rapture, as he danced around the va- waving imaginary gladioli. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: Um, and I think I think that is the thing. Although they've got this reputation for being purveyors of glumness, mm. there is an unbridled freedom and joy that lets your inner outsider... Oh
0: right, Go well. outside and not inner. <laughs> yeah. Just about got away with that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: but yeah, it's it it it's a freeing thing, and I think that's that's what Smith fans saw in in modesty. Hey, we we can be what we want to be.
0: Yeah, and i would say for me, the first Smith song I heard was "Sheila Take a Bow," and I think the next one would have been "This Charming Man." So, between those two, this narrative that the Smiths are just a really depressing, downbeat band, obviously never caught on with me because I couldn't understand that. I think one of the other things that makes the Smiths feel really valuable to you as a fan is the sense that they have this world and this is one of the things I think the film does create very well that when you go through their back catalogue you find all these references to films plays, Hmm. books, you know old girl groups that only Morrissey remembers um, you know tabloid stories from the 60s, the famous covers of their sleeves, which is just like a gallery of Morrissey's heroes. And you get the sense that if you enjoy all of these things you live in a you can live in a sort of smiths world yourself it doesn't have to end with listening to the records mm. you know you can have a smiths movie night you can have a smiths you know book group you can yeah. make any part of your cultural life smiths themed and a lot of people did
1: yeah oh yeah but well, for me this this film which I guess, from a cinematic point of view, is quite quite an achievement. It it does visually what it can't do sonically.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Which is, are you ready? Here we go again. It's a <laughs> vulgar picture, <laughs> oh, dear. of of the Smiths' um, sort of back catalogue, and it, it it almost to the point where some of it feels like.
0: Hey, hey. Well, as a child from one of those ugly new houses, I thought it uh, did a pretty good job. How are your knees, by the way? (laughs) 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 Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think it. I think it does a good job with that. I think it has things like Swan Lake by the Cats on the soundtrack, which I was aware uh, because, as I say, I was one of those Smiths fans. Was uh, chosen by Morrissey as one of the sort of songs that he put on a compilation called Under the Influence, mm. where artists pick out their formative influences. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that. Of, uh, you know, singles by Diana Dawes who appeared on the front of the Smiths singles collection. Things where if you are immersed not just in the Smiths but this kind of Smiths culture, you will recognise. But I think that for a lot of people that will just sail straight past them, and that that's fine. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and I, I,
1: maybe that's it. Maybe England, is mind didn't appeal to me because I've been there. Even even if it was only as an onlooker at first, I've mm. been there from the start. So, in terms of in terms of the career of, um, I also felt as well that because of the way, because of the look, yeah, of Stephen Patrick in this film, mm. I. Th- thought what I was actually watching was a biopic of the early Ben Wishaw.
0: Yes! <laughs> he looks so Ben Wishaw in this, and I feel like I'm going to be talking a lot of smack about Jack Loudon, and it saddens me, because I think he is a terrific actor. I don't know... Uh, have you got round to watching... And the,
1: the Sorry, the, the, the other thing that I hmm. thought was in a more musically biopic way yeah. is... Actually, what he resembled more than a young Morrissey was a young Jarvis Cocker.
0: Oh, yeah, I can kind of see that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Because towards the end, you know, he... um he actually gets the quiff and it's meant to be like the sort of the moment in Batman Begins where you see Christian Bale in the suit for the first <laughs> time. It is hard not to look at this film as a superhero origin movie. It really is. <laughs> but who's the villain? The hero, probably. Um, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ultimately. Yeah. Um
1: when, 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 when Morrissey's life story starts getting written by Frank Miller, that's when he turns into the bad guy. Yes!
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's so accurate. The dark Morrissey rises. But, uh, yeah, I totally agree. I did keep think thinking of Ben Wishart. I don't know. Have you seen Small Axe yet? Any of Small Axe? Uh, yes.
1: I saw the education one.
0: All right, because Jack Loudon is in the first one, Mangrove, Uh, as a radical lawyer, and he is fantastic in that. It's a really, really great performance.
1: I haven't got round to watching the other ones yet because of the, um, quite frankly, Victorian um, treadmill of films I have to watch for podcasts at the moment.
0: I mean, you know. You know what you're signing up for, don't you? It's... <laughs> well, this is the thing, isn't it? There's no contract. <laughs> uh, I am I am the Morrissey and Marty, to your Vork and Joyce on these podcasts, <laughs> aren't I? I am just absolutely shafting you to yeah. make this content.
1: Yeah. I get no royalties. Yes. I barely was... get a credit. It's...
0: You were sacked by a little note put under the windscreen (laughs) wiper of your car. And (laughs) and, and
1: I'm only only agreeing to do this podcast because it might help pay for the litigation I'm taking out against Graham. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll help him out with his solo efforts.
0: Listeners, in case you're not aware, uh, we have both read Morrissey and Marr, The Severed Alliance by (laughs) Johnny Rogan, uh, a book which prompted the first of its title subjects to say, I hope Johnny Rogan dies in a multiple car pile up very soon. (sighs) The thing is... The, the description of Morrissey's school days and his time on the dole in Severed Alliance is really vivid. To mm. me, it's the best part of the book. And I, I have to admit, this is probably quite shameful, but I am one of those people who normally finds the before they were famous part of biographies and autobiographies very boring. I want to hear the behind the scenes gossip, sue me. Yeah. Um, But in in Severed Alliance, it is both beautiful and fairly revealing as to how Morrissey collected the influences that would make him the artist he is. And that's why I was quite enthusiastic about seeing this film. I just think that central characterisation, it's a real problem to me. It gets the kind of introverted depressive nature of Morrissey perfectly but there is a point where he goes on stage with the nosebleeds a very raucous punk band who he did briefly front in real life and he sings again as he did in real life a cover version of give him a great big kiss with the pronouns kept exactly the same he just this wildly camp performance to an audience of Manchester punks and when you read that that happened you think yes of course of course that's the first gig Morrissey did it's so Morrissey Yeah. in the context of this film you think hang on where did that come from
1: yeah yeah and it's <sighs> I, th- I, th- I think the problem for me is the fact that the character is called Stephen Patrick Morrissey and um... mm there's all those other characters, Christine, who by all by all accounts is a minor character in the history of Morrissey.
0: Yes, um, yeah.
1: And I, I felt, don't get me wrong, I thought Jodie was great as Christine, but it was kind of a, she was over-egged at the expense of Linda Sterling.
0: Christine is a a kind of... I think they just about pull this off, but the concept of the character is tricky because Jodie Comer in this movie is playing everything wrong with working-class Britain, really, isn't she? Everything that Morrissey finds irksome about his social status has to be sort of concentrated in this one figure. And I think it just about comes off, but I don't know why anyone would think that was a good scripting decision.
1: Yeah. Um and it it it's the stuff in the tax office as well that that gives you that nudging the nudging the ribs moment again because I was I was expecting for the, the boss who keeps tearing him a new one when he's late or he's absent or whatever mm. to shut his office door and have a big sign on it saying Mr. Shankly headed against <laughs> but- <laughs> So, yeah, I I think if if the characters hadn't been named the way that they were and weren't people that we recognise as being prominent figures, somewhat Mm. prominent than in real life, in Modesty's life... Yeah. I think... And if it had had a different title, I think what we'd have had is a very competent 1970s-ish set kitchen sink drama Mm. that would have still been the darling of Indyland. Yeah. Um, as a film, the fact that it's got all these trappings of Morrissey, I think ultimately for me, led to it being disappointing.
0: Trappings of Morrissey was one of those cash in B-sides compilations it, it, that it's, he did. It's... It.
1: <laughs> trappings of Morrissey, that's the tribute band I'm forming. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. And it's in kind of a weird bind as well, isn't it? Because Smiths fans like you and I will go to it and find Loudoun's performance to be naggingly off. I I shouldn't have said that universally. I know Mark Cunliffe of this podcast is a big fan of this film and he is also a massive Smiths fan. So it's, you know, not universal, Mm. but... I think a lot of people will feel like that, and people who aren't Smiths fans, conversely, will go to it and think, "Why am I following around this sulky guy? You know, yeah. for an hour and a half, what's I, he got?"
1: You see, they, they, this is fundamentally the problem for me. I think Jack Loudon plays a brilliant part. Mm. What he does in this film, he does really well. Yeah. What he doesn't do really well is B Morrissey.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think i could I could probably handle it better, I think if you wanted to make the smallest change that had the most impact, if the voiceover was different, yeah because for this character to be engaging, and I'm not just talking about this character being engaging as Morrissey, this, it's the same with Billy Lyre, it's the same with any film that has this basic working-class dream narrative, you need to absolutely believe that the stuff going through his head is fantastic and colourful and brilliant and yeah. witty and sophisticated and everything that his surrounding isn't. But Loudon has decided or been told i don't know to deliver it in this really sullen way the first word you hear from him is life and i thought oh my god it's marvin the paranoid android (laughs) the next line is going to be don't talk to me about life
1: oh dear yeah and all the way through it i was thinking Mm. this would have worked so much better if it had been along the lines of killing bono
0: Oh yeah, the which is the film about people who
1: were in a band a bit like you two.
0: Yeah, yeah. and didn't make it big because you two sort of lifted up. Yeah, yeah. And
1: I, I think if you, if you'd have done this as you know, it's the guy who replaces Morrissey in the no, Nosebleeds or precedes Morrissey in the Nosebleeds, mm. and nearly forms a band with Johnny Marr and nearly does. <laughs>
0: And You could have done that because the Noseblinks yeah. were one of those bands like sort of Big in Japan or something yeah. where they were not themselves successful but everyone in them went on to be big. You had yeah. Morrissey, you had Billy Duffy who was mm-hmm. portrayed in this film and went on to form the cult. You yeah. had Vinnie Riley from Dirty Column was in them. Yeah. So there is room for a really great comedy about a, a completely unsuccessful band whose yeah. members keep on becoming big stars after <laughs> After yeah. they leave.
1: Yeah, this is it and it's, I, I think that would have been a more entertaining way of doing this because mm. you, then you could have done this Morrissey not Morrissey
0: Yeah, yeah
1: and it would have worked better for me, I think
0: I think one of the other things that is maybe inhibiting Loudon's performance is that on one level, this is, you know, decoupled from the fact that it's Morrissey, it's a very sensitive portrayal of someone going through chronic depression. Hmm. And like I say, on that level, I have no qualms with it. But even people like you and I, who have been fans of his music for so long, are having to acknowledge that some of Morrissey's d- depression and insularity is basically just, you know... Self-absorption and yeah. narcissism, yeah. and I think a, a tougher film could have put that in and still made him sympathetic at this point. Yeah, but they they are very nervous about that because I think they don't know how much this film is going to be a thing for Smith's fans. Yeah, yeah. I don't...
1: I mean, I tried to do some research around the film. I mean mm. you know, despite the constant constant demands on my attention for visual stimulus to be i feel I feel like Alex in Clockwork Orange at times with he's watched
0: four he's watched four films in a week. listeners. don't give him your tears just yet
1: four films <laughs> three virtual training courses. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. A, for,
1: a forty-hour week working from home on Zoom meetings all day. Yeah, My eyes are dry. But <laughs> <laughs> so I do feel like Alex at the end of Clockwork Orange. At the <laughs> moment. fair enough. Um, I forgot where I was going then.
0: Uh, it, yeah, where were you going? Um, I, I can't remember. We we were talking. I was minding about, my business. Yes. <laughs> We've talked about this this time in Morrissey's life and how he could have been made more sympathetic yeah. or how his flaws yeah. have been more acknowledged.
1: And I, I yeah, and I think I think the other side of it is that it's a little bit like the Joker film that came out mm. the other week. Going back to your superhero origin. Analogy. Yes, I thought that the Joker, or Joker, was a good film about someone's descent into madness. It just yeah. wasn't a Joker film.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that one, and and
1: almost was harmed by that association.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very strange. I think one of the film things that is problematic about Joker is that it assumes that this character who is interesting because he is so chaotic and tricksterish mm-hmm. will become more interesting where you can pin a diagnosis on him and say, ah, he's bad because this happened in his life. And I think that there is something similar in England is Mine where it seems to treat the death of one of his friends uh, as being something that sort of tipped him over mm-hmm. in in a way that I can't quite wrap my head around why they thought that was the sort of th- the inciting thing that led yeah. him to become who he became I don't get that at all no
1: um, oh I was talking about the research I did
0: the research the, yes the
1: research. And now I, I thought because let's face it, we know from your comments around the severed Alliance um, and we know from the various litigations that went on following the breakup of the Smiths. Yes, that Morrissey is not usually backwards at coming forwards to comment on work that goes on around his life. Yeah, I have yet to find any comments. From Morrissey about this film,
0: and that is astonishing, isn't it? Because I don't, I don't know if you've, have you ever like liked the official Morrissey page on Facebook?
1: Oh yeah, un- until it until it became a sounding board for Britain first, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, (laughs) I I did the same thing when about 90% of it seemed to be written by this webmaster whose understanding of British politics was basically sort of regurgitated Morrissey opinions. Mm. And I'm just, I felt, sort so bad for him even though he was shitting up my Facebook feed with this unreadable bollocks. But I just pictured like this poor Mexican Maurice fan going in my country we have many violent gangs too. Uh these what you call these Ramonas the same? <laughs> oh Pedro if anything they're even worse. <laughs> um, and, <you> know, <laughs> He's
1: he's, he's poorly paid for the t Immigrant Webmaster. (laughs) Yes.
0: So, uh, as you say, you would expect that there would be at least sort of five posts which are so long that no one will ever read them Mm. to do with the fact that there is this movie made about Morrissey's youth. But, yeah, I, I I can well believe there is nothing because I don't know what you could say about it in a lot of ways. Well, you know, I
1: mean, yeah, he, he could at least come out and I don't know, tell us what kind of death should await the director, you know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but you know, like I say, you know, in in terms of in terms of being a movie, you know, there's there's nothing that is particularly jarring about any of the cinematography. As you say, it quite, quite skillfully encapsulates that kitchen sink drama, although Mm. dragging it a decade or so forward. Yeah. Um, So, you know, as a film, it's not a hateful film or a a dislikable film at all. It's just that... it's, It's that sense of anticipation that comes with every visual cue to a Smith song that fails to deliver. Yeah. It, it, it's it's like being told that your Domino's pizza is going to be here in thirty minutes, and you're at twenty nine <laughs> minutes and fifty seconds, and there's no lights coming down the road. All the pizzas are available and tastier.
0: So I've I've mentioned <laughs> that I think uh, a film which stuck more closely to the severed alliances description of his school days and his uh, uh, early life would be. More interesting, but um, what 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 do you think they could have done? Do you think we should have had an adaptation of the early chapters of autobiography, the Penguin Classics uh, bestseller?
1: I mean, you know, the early chapters they were about four years long <laughs> as, as a reading experience. I mean, it's a
0: weighty tool. It is. It really is. Yeah. You know, that
1: there the, are. The, uh, there are people much, young, much older than Morrissey that have got much shorter biographies.
0: Yeah, that's true, yeah.
1: Um, I, I think... I think we could have done with maybe a sort of 10-minute, almost like a training montage of the early years, you know, showing...
0: showing <laughs> I thought my superhero analogy was good, but this, this Rocky <laughs> Morrison is amazing. Yeah.
1: Well, it would lead quite nicely to the solo hit Boxers, wouldn't it? So, yes.
0: Know. He'd be there punching a big slab of tofu. But,
1: uh, and if, if, if it was a follow up to this movie, you know, the, they'd be training with his mate, Dagenham Dave. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> but, um,. Yeah, I'd sort of, you know, do a sort of brief montage of, you know, I was born at an early age in Manchester, blah, blah, blah. I went to this grammar school. It was loathsome. And blah, 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 blah. Hit the keynotes you need to know. Dad left, blah, 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 blah. And then I met Johnny. Yeah. Because that that is the moment where all that... Started dovetailing,
0: you know, yeah, and becoming
1: yeah. a thing. We we finish England is mine, and it's not become a thing yet.
0: Yeah, no, I completely see that. Um, the other possibility that I think we've been too sort of too too fearful, really, to admit is um, cinematic adaptation of List of the Lost. Listeners make us uh, looking grave.
1: I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah. I got the preview sample on my Kindle <coughs> and I only made it halfway through page two.
0: <laughs> you couldn't even get up to the bulba salutations. No
1: I, 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 it was, uh, what is this? How many words does it take to, <laughs> to describe something? I mean, I, 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 I always thought Tolkien was a bit verbose. Yeah. But he's positively terse in comparison to Mother.
0: <laughs> I, one of the things about List of the Lost, too, is as you said, the autobiography is a big fat book, and List of the Lost is like, Pencil thin, and yet it still feels like it rattles on forever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I've. I've, I've if it ever appears on um, one of those lists of 100 books to read before you die, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just assume that I left it too late to start. <laughs>
0: 100 books to read that will cause you to just die. die. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yes, I, I think uh, in, in mind, body and soul, in part and in whole, we have covered England is mine, here uh, Yes.
1: And, and we've also established that you do, in fact, owe me
0: a living. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we really do. But... <laughs> That's your lot from Pop Screen for another week. Listeners, thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for TGS underscore The Geek Show. And we're also on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash The Geek Show, where you can get, among many other goodies, monthly bonus episodes of Pop Screen. Yes. You're, oh, you're Mr. Right. Ambassador,
1: you spoilers.
0: You're right to make that impressed face. <laughs> But until next week, that's been your lot from Pop Screen. I've been Graham.
1: And I've been making Christmas cards with the mentally ill.
0: <laughs> See you
1: next week.